Positioning is everything, and positioning is the meaning of that is like if you just if you're ever going out to a bar or sitting in a classroom, like every person is their own brand. They're positioning themselves by the way they dress, the way they look, their way their haircut, things they say or don't say, the people they hang out with. It's the same with a brand. A brand is a person, and you 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 have a position. You know, it's like that that person that brands like they're. They're a nerd, they're a jock, they're into music, they're into not only music, but this person's the punk music, this person's the hip hop, this per you know what I mean? Like, that's positioning, and so Forefront and Jay are taking different positions. This podcast is hosted by myself, Riley Farbaugh, and on this episode of the podcast, we've got Jason Leventhal, or as you may know him, Jay Lev. Jason's a professional skier turned serial entrepreneur. He's the guy who founded Line Skis Full Tilt Boots and is now building J Skis. He's been featured in Free Skier Magazine, Powder Magazine, Bomb Snow, New Schoolers, and more. He was named a top 40 under 40 professional in the sporting goods industry by Sporting Goods Magazine in 2010, and he was a bronze medalist in the 98X Games, gave a TED Talk in 2015, and has sold over half a million pairs of skis. You can find him on social media at Jason Leventhal, follow Jay Skis at J underscore skis, and grab a pair of limited edition sticks at jskis.com. Jason, welcome to the podcast. That was a dialed intro. <laughs> Holy cow. I do I do my research. I come prepared you to really this. do. All right. You made me sound a lot better than uh normal yeah this is great no it'd be <laughs> tough to downplay it okay sure <laughs> i'll go with it um i'm psyched to have you on man uh tell let's start from way back when and uh tell me about when you started line how'd you what prompted you to get into that business so this mic is working all good yeah should be working yeah it's going <laughs> it's going yeah so what got me is so, uh, like most people that are uh, create products, it's usually from your own personal need. I was a skier, loved skiing. Um, the sport hadn't evolved for a very long time in terms of what you could do on your skis. In the meantime, all the other sports around me, action sports at the time, were coming to life where, you know, like BMX bikes uh, were kind of created from from traditional cycling or mountain bikes from a traditional cycling bike. All of a sudden you can do tricks or you can go off the road. Uh, wakeboards from water skis, you know, you can go backwards and do flips and things. Um, skateboards got symmetric, rollerblades. Um, snowboarding really came from skiing where you wanted to be able to surf the mountain in a different way, carve, float better in the powder, do tricks. And snowboarding was really picking up a ton of momentum. And as a kid, I started participating in that and my friends as well a lot of people I knew stopped skiing because snowboarding was more fun it had more potential as a young person to to push the limits of what's possible this was, was back in the 90s this or? is in like yeah this is in like early like yeah how old were you at this point well so when I started line I was it was 95 and I was just out of college and all through college I had snowboarded as much as I skied. Okay. But every time I'd get on my skis I'd be like why can't I do on my skis what I can do easily on my snowboard? Like my skis I couldn't go backwards. I couldn't carve like I could on my snowboard. I couldn't surf and float in powder as well. I couldn't do tricks. It wasn't as maneuverable. 
And I mean, the ski at the time was a 207 lane slalom, like giant slalom ski. It was a straight square tail, you know, no side cut, super skinny. So snowboarding, honestly, was more fun, but I love skiing. So the obvious question every day to myself was like, why can't I just ride a ski that has the same attributes of a snowboard? And so as a senior college project, University of Buffalo, it was a school of architecture, it was like design studies, I created a twin tip ski. And I just took a snowboard and I cut the dimensions in half, half the width, half the length. So it was like a short, fat, deep side cut, full twin tip ski. And that's went to the hill with that with my friends and it was a hell of a lot more fun than the skis I had at the time. So I went home and I started making them. Okay, so you were making them in your garage or something? Yeah, like after I graduated college and then I, I was like, I'm gonna make these. Now at the time, there were hundreds of snowboard brands in their garages. Like people just making snowboards. Like every town winter, you know, every town that snowed in America there was someone making snowboards out of their like garage or warehouse and actually selling them. So to me, it seemed, hey, this is kind of doable. And I grew up following Jake Burton. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up going to Stratton Mountain. I, I was in Albany, New York, and I'd make the trip to Stratton an hour and a half away and stop at the Burton factory. And it just seemed like super reasonable to start making a product like this. Even though other people weren't making skis in their garage, to me, it was like the same thing. I never really saw skiing and snowboarding as different as the rest of the world. I still, I was like, it just, it's just like skiing just hadn't gone through that evolution. It hadn't been renewed yet, you know, rejuvenated. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to do. So line was started, you were really innovating in the, the industry with shorter twin tip skis. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they were short just because I wanted that maneuverability and it just the way it went. I was rollerblading at the time and I was just like, I don't know if we really need skis that are 200 centimeters long, which is the case. It just wasn't that short. I mean, skis today are much shorter than they were back then. They're much wider. They're much like you take a ski I made at the time and put it against the ski today. And it's a lot closer. It's the only thing different is the length, you know? So yeah, I have them in my office. I'll show you after, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see <laughs> I mean, they were, version 1.0. I mean, yeah. Like what even, even the very first one was like, light years ahead of anything like people couldn't call them skis because they look at them and they go those aren't skis but like today they probably would they'd say yeah those are just short twin tip skis at the time they were just like from outer space it was like why do you have a tail and people would ask like why do you want to go backwards and i'd just be like because i go backwards on everything else like my rollerblade my skateboard my wakeboard my snowboard like why can't i go backwards on skis like, okay well i think that's crazy that you want to go backwards like like today, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you were thinking very differently from the rest of the industry. That business you started in '95 yeah. and worked on that till '06. Yeah. You had an. Uh, you guys were bought out at yeah. that point. Yeah. So by, I was bought a couple times. Like in '99, I kind of I was building four thousand pairs of these ski boards, is what they were called, because people yeah. couldn't conceive of another. They weren't ski. They weren't snowboard. Anyway, I was building up to 4,000 pair of them by 99. People were patting me on the back, you're killing it. Solomon came out with their version, all these big brands were like yeah. following this trend that's in the X Games. I'm in the X Games, so like we get the credibility. But the reality is like financially, I was going bankrupt. You know, like yeah. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars and you never see that from the outside, but we just weren't big enough to sustain what the cost of operating this business and marketing it. So 99 Carhu, a cross country yeah. company bought it, brought it to Burlington. 
And then we took it as far as we could from there with the longer skis, the longer twin tips. And it really blew up. And by 2006, again, we ran out of money. And then we were sold to K2. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was <laughs> that, so I mean, you guys were, were financially struggling. Was that just a, a byproduct of you being young or... I mean, you're, you're mid-20s, yeah, late-20s exactly. at this point. Yeah. Like, what would you have done differently? Well, there's a reality that you need economies of scale, meaning you need to do a certain volume just to sustain the basics of operating and marketing and developing product. Um, that you, no matter what, you just have to make a certain amount of money to sustain itself. And... We thought we, every year we were, this was going to be our year to grow beyond that point, like to get beyond that, like the tipping scale and like actually break even, literally, you know. And so it was always seemed like it was worth investing more, investing more. But the reality is the sport of skiing wasn't ready for this to grow, to be bigger. It had to, it took it just time. Time is what it was needed. And the only thing I could have thought of doing different was to live more within our means be like okay we're selling this many this is the money we have let's just live within this and be happy let's not say let's spend to be twice the size and when we don't get there we were almost on the verge of bankruptcy like and so that's what i would have done different which would have meant scaling back our expectations the amount of product we develop etc etc and letting the market digest like okay i understand this and every year one guy one person that had a good experience tells two and those two tell two more and like you just organically grow um i also probably the only other thing i could have done is try selling direct which would have been difficult at the time yeah late 90s yeah early 2000s yeah but i think we could have gone somewhere with it there was like direct mail was heavy at the time and there Mm -hmm. was websites and stuff and honestly for the amount of skis we sold which were few we might have been able to pull it off and make way more money selling fewer, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah. Not making more money as in like you're getting wealthy, but just you, you are actually breaking even. Profitable, you're yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're running a business, not yeah, an yeah. art project. Like yeah. That's what I call it. Like if you're not making profit, you're an art project. Like yeah. You're just spending money and making cool shit. Yeah. But you're not you're not funding your business. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah. So that's where we're at. And it's true of a lot of like startup small brands. Yeah, you know? definitely. And even ones that have been around for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you guys would have, in hindsight, 2020, you would have grown a little slower. You wouldn't have invested as much into I mean, advertising we, we and marketing. We were growing or? slower. We just would have spent less, I think. Okay. How um, fast were you growing at that point? I don't, Selling I don't know. I mean, 4,000 pairs yeah, a year so we in, in 99? Yeah, I think we got up to like maybe seven or 8,000 pair by like 2006. It was still nowhere near what we needed because we were selling through retailers, so you're only making a small amount. There's so many middlemen. Yeah. You're basically playing it like in the big leagues. Like you're playing against the biggest companies out there. They're selling hundreds of thousands of the product, and you're selling a couple thousand. And you're trying to spend the same amount in marketing and the same amount in trade shows and sales reps and just, you know all those expenses of as if you're in the you know the NFL when you should be just like on a practice field aside you know you can't afford it but you have to play the game right so the only way to not play the game is to sell direct really you know uh, which is what I'm doing now yeah you know, not play their game play my game and and sell less. Uh, for a higher margin, which enables you to be sustainable at a smaller size. You know, you're not driving around a Ferrari. You're just 
paying your bills and you're like a happy little ski company. You know? Yeah. Instead yeah, yeah. of thinking like the other way, you have to be a big company to sustain it financially. Um, so you talked about the direct direct consumer yeah. model that you're using now with J Skis. Do you want to talk a little bit more about you know what you're doing with J Skis versus what the traditional business model is for yeah. ski manufacturers? Yeah. So for J, I mean, we only sell direct, one hundred percent. We don't sell to any retailers. So what that enables us to do is just be completely one on one with our customers and it's a completely different experience from the customer side. Like our, like you came in here, there's a couple people on customer service because they're live chat, phone, email, like you go in other companies, you can't even reach someone if you're a consumer. You gotta go through the store, right? So you're talking to me, you're talking to my guys that are sitting next to me and it enables us to just have our finger on the pulse of our own customer. You know, there's no middlemen. And then when it comes to just operating the speed that we can operate and change, like if we have an idea, we can literally take that idea go to design something up, go to the factory, produce it, release it anytime we want. When you're going through a retail distribution chain, your base, your your release dates are based on their timeline. So if you have a good idea now, they don't care. They're not, it's not their season. You know, they it's once a year you get to sell it to that store. And you have to do it a full year in advance. So you're actually kind of behind. Because now you've got this like two year lead time where like year one, you show them the product, they place an order. Uh, you should you develop the product year two they place an order year three the consumer sees it mm. instead I'm doing all that condensed in like one season um, so we're just we can react quicker to the trends in the market um, and like I said financially we're sustainable you know we're we get we're we don't owe anyone at the end of the season no one owes us like that's actually pretty rare yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> we're not chasing any shops down like the customer wants to ski they buy it from us they take their credit card if the customer doesn't doesn't have a good experience with the ski, they can return it directly to us. We refund them. It's like it's a very uh, rewarding feeling to be able to so one on one with your customers, even when there's thousands of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Um, you have got some co owners in this business. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about your business partners and yeah. what they bring to the table? Yeah, so uh, Brian Boardman is a local realtor. Uh, he owns a real estate company, Hickok and Boardman. Um, and he he actually uh, helped me find my first, I only bought one house, but yeah, he sold me my first house. And we went back and forth with different ski stories and whatnot. And when I started a ski company, I was looking for people to invest just so I can finance the startup. I mean, you're at zero sales on your first day. You need money to buy the products and materials and, and market the product. So he he was amazing with that. You know, he never, what was amazing about him is he never put like this pressure where it was like, why aren't you doing more? You know, like, why aren't you making money hand over fist? Like he understood like, this is like a passion business in a lot of ways. You know, it's like, we're trying to create something that hadn't been done. And we want this, we want to be who we are. And it's not about like selling this to Facebook or something, you know, stupid. So he's been great in just that, that support. And that was like just on day one, he helped finance it. And uh, then there's uh, Mark Fankhauser, who's graphic designer. And he, he's a legend. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. He started Ride Snowboards back in the day in terms of like all their graphic and messaging and marketing. He didn't start that business, but he was 
he's the vision behind Ride Snowboards for like those first couple decades. And then I met him at working at K2. And he's one, he's the best graphic designer. He's one of the best graphic designers I've ever worked with. So he's, he's been great. And, um, and I mean, there's a lot of people, Francois, like he's worked with me for like 20 years engineering skis. So it's like none of these people are in this office, right? But like, they're all experts in what they do kind of the same way I am. And when we need their expertise, they like drop in and, you know, Francois is like an unbelievable eng ski engineer. He used to build his own race skis in his garage when I met him in like 99 and now he's you know when we need a new ski he just engineers it we brainstorm we go ski it and that's the deal you know yeah so these guys are like ninjas you know like they just come in and do some of the best work and when we need them and yeah it's, it's a collab true collaboration you're only as good as people around you yeah you know yeah and there's a there's dozens of other people man that are just involved in very deep ways so yeah that's cool. Um, what advice do you have for founders on the topic of product development? You talked about how you were building these out of your garage. At the time, there were a bunch of uh, people building snowboards in their mm -hmm. garage. Um, what, what advice do you have there? For people who want to start companies in general? Uh, yeah, and, and specifically like product-focused companies yeah. where they're you know innovating in the same way that you did with yeah. Line. Well, I think one of the mistakes I made early on was like, because I first, just because you make the product initially, which is a good thing, and to develop it to the point where like, okay, I think it's ready to be sold, doesn't mean you should be the manufacturer of it. That's like a huge, huge difference. And that's, when you ask me like, what are the mistakes? I probably should have said that. It's like, I continued to be a factory. And all my time and energy was on like, ordering tape to box up the skis and like, do we have enough epoxy and like, I was so distracted. Like if some guy didn't show up, I'd be sanding skis or pressing skis. And it's like, I should have been selling, marketing, figuring out the finances, like running the business, thinking of the next greatest product. Um, so I would suggest first, like develop it hands-on yourself if you can. If you can't, find someone that does a similar type of product physically that can just build you one-offs. Get to the point where you're like, this is exactly what I want. It's just not like a complete finish for not production and fig and source get quotes from different company you know factories of what it would cost for them to produce it at different volumes and just outsource it do not invest in machinery and warehouse space and people to build your product in house is that's what i would suggest cuz you get you'll drown in those costs and what if you don't need to sell a lot of those what if you go from building it out of carbon fiber to then building it out of fiberglass or building it out like of a material that has nothing to do with that. Now you just invest in all those processes and you want to switch it over. Well, if you outsource it, it's like snapping fingers, you call a different supplier, different factory, and you can change to whatever you want. Or if there's like a supplier in a different country or wherever you want, you know, you know, one day you were like, I want it made in the USA. It's like, boom, you can do that. You know what I mean? Or another day you're like, I just need this really cheap, this one model. I can get it done in Asia or something or, you know, wherever. Yeah. It's just flexibility, man. And it's not overhead in manufacturing. That, that'll crush you, manufacturing overhead. And it's, it takes so much knowledge. Like, it's one thing to have a great idea for a product and even bring it to fruition. It's another to be an expert in mass producing something. And that's what I was trying to do back then. And, like, I was 22 years old. 
running a factory, building 4,000 skis with a bunch <laughs> of friends. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I went I was like, four years later. Um, on on the, the topic of, you know, direct consumer, what makes you guys different and, you know, your, your speed in iterating on product design. Yeah. There's a, a quote in, in an article from Bomb that you did and you say, the future of the sport is going to rely on the microbrew brands. It's requiring more small brands and companies. I'm trying to figure out a way to be small and profitable so that other companies can do the same and we can have like a ton, a plethora of microbrews just like you see in beer. Can you talk more about how you see that evolving it's not funny, only that in the was ski a while industry ago, man. that but, was a while ago and it actually is and now i'm like Geez, yeah there's so many but you know the just think of like a giant freight liner like a giant boat in the, in, the, in the ocean what it takes to turn versus jet ski right like a jet ski could go back and forth back and forth dozens of times before that one giant like cruise ship can turn make one turn so the big big companies are gonna they just have their big gears everything takes longer and they can't necessarily see something be like, that's a good idea. I'm going to try it, you know, and even bring it to market because they have to justify huge volumes are going to come from that investment. So if you're small and nimble, you're going to bring a lot quicker innovation to the market. You're also going to market like just promotion of the sport or the product is going to happen. It's going to reach more niche people. If you have, a dozen different brands speaking to a dozen different types of skiers in a dozen different ways than one corporation that is just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So do you think that movement will go beyond skiing or is there something unique about the outdoors industry that makes it different from it's other a, industries? I think it's already, I mean, it's already happening everywhere and everything. Yeah. I mean, there's companies that, hey, I make the best socks. You know, it's like, when did someone say they're going to make the best socks or underwear other than Hanes? You know what I'm saying? Like, you'd never envisioned that 10 years ago. Now it's like, I'm going to make a razor better than Gillette. Like, yeah. they buy directly from me. You know, it's like, so, yeah, it's happening, man. It's only happening because of e-commerce. Like, that's enabling and empowering entrepreneurs to build products that previously only the big corporations could do and market and sell. Yeah. Uh, what's driven e-com for you guys? What, how have you been able to raise awareness about the brand and, and convince people to buy your skis? Our best marketing in terms of <clears throat> what draw, like you take an action in marketing and you get a sale from it is actually email. Um, a lot of people think email's dead and blah, blah, but like if you're e-commerce, like it's incredibly powerful. And, um, you know, we build our email list. We get, we've been gathering names, you know, every day we gather emails, just like sign up to win or, you know, find out about new products. And, you know, you send an email and you sell product. And it, it, I'm not talking about the kind of email where it's just like spamming someone to death, but just, you know, entertainment, you know, cool videos, photos, you know, also rad looking products and whatever. That's getting the word out for us a lot. Social media is a no brainer, obviously. Um, but it's getting more challenging because Instagram, you know, Facebook, same thing. They, they control how many people see what you send, right? Where email, if I send an email to someone, I know their address and I'm directly communicating and I get dozens and dozens of people responding to those emails. Like, it's not like, like 50% off the lead, 50% off the lead. Like this is an email, like I'm writing to my customers. Hey customers, this is my favorite photos from this month of 
from other customers riding my product, for instance. And like they'll write back like, hey, this is cool, exchange photos. So it's a much more personal method of communication and, and it does sell skis. Yeah. Um, you brought up social media. I know you guys are big on Instagram. Yeah. Talk about uh, the importance of that and how you guys leverage social, what role it plays for the business. Yeah, well we use um, an app called Later to schedule social because you want to have like a variety of content. You don't want to just be always saying the same thing. So you got to kind of look at it at like a two week time span of like, what's the messaging you're putting out? What's the content? You're not always trying to sell something. Sometimes you're just trying to share the stoke. So we'll schedule out everything, imagery and, and language and whatever. And we do it twice a day, seven days a week. I mean, we just take it seriously. Like we want to stay like, again, we're direct to consumer business model we want to stay in touch with our customers so how wherever our customer is that's where we need to be if they're looking at a billboard and i can afford it i talk to them through a billboard if i can knock on their front door and i could have that amount of time i would be doing that but like this is the next best thing social media and email yeah um all right I, i'm i feel like we've jumped around a little bit between line and j skis but just to sort of uh reset the timeline here Line was built from 95 to 06, and then... For me, from where I owned it. Right, now. okay, so... And then in 06, I worked for K2 for seven years. So in 99, you sold part of that business to Carhu yeah. up in Quebec? Yeah, and then in 2006, sold the whole thing to K2. Okay. Now, when we say sold, I didn't make money on this thing. We were like... They took care they, of your debt, they, though. They, they, they took care <laughs> of the debt. Yeah, they paid off the debt, and they said, congratulations, your company's going to continue on. Yeah. And I was employee for K2 for seven years running K2. Okay. That's when I... And like, was that a stipulation of the buyout? No, or no, okay. So I you stayed there because you wanted to. Yeah, I wanted okay. to see where this thing can go. Yeah. And we went from like selling 4,000 pairs to 40,000 pairs, awesome. you know, in those yeah. six years seven years and uh and so i was really proud of that and, and during that time also they had a boot shell uh the wrigley boot shell um and they had a full tilt brand name um and then i brought that to market under k2 it was their business but i was just responsible for like creating that brand and running it and so then by 2006 i was just i think i felt like i had done everything i could for those brands and I just saw what was going on with e-commerce. I was like, I want to, I want to play in that game. You know, what I mean, that's something. I think that's what I really originally wanted to do. But now there's the means to do it as a as a standalone small ski business because of e-commerce. So that's where and digital marketing. And so I jumped out and I was like, started J Skis. Uh, tell me about the the time at K two. Was it was it. How was it being in, yeah. I mean, you, you describe these company. big com companies yeah. as, as ships versus yeah. jet skis. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, I learned a ton, man. Like okay. I would suggest anyone that gets has a business and they get bought out, like go for a ride and see what it's like to work for that kind of business. I learned a lot. I've got a lot of like ways that I see business that I never would have that I learned from working for a public company, um, making hard decisions that you otherwise would never have the balls to do. Because um, sometimes like you just can't afford to do it, they just cut it. You know, like that's hard. Sometimes they cut too much, and that's bad. But you also just learn how to assess things and analyze information and data and scrutinize over like, you know, should we make this product in this size or this size? And that might be like a lot of analysis of like all the competition and the sales and 
instead of just winging it with your body like yeah let's just make it 184 it sounds cool i like the sound of that you know <laughs> so i learned a shit ton of that and i glad i did and then when i was done learning you know and progressing i was like it's on to the next thing what were some of those things that you learned at k2 that you have applied to jay skis um well one being analytical and like data analysis of like look at your sales look at your competition and see what let the, some of the numbers do the talking for what you should do and still go with your gut and you you have an intuition and you have perspective that you want to bring to that decision but a lot of it is just like if you're not selling it and no one wants it stop making it stop wasting your time like do you know i also learned how to manage a budget you know just like you get this much money for your marketing and this is what and every month we assess like what we spent versus what we have you know what we're getting out of it so there's a lot of that analytical stuff i also understood like why big companies can and can't do what they do like because there's a lot of decision makers a lot of layers and you just can't always get the decision made you know like you'll just go round and round with something that's so basic and that's where like, I want to lead to, to, to be able to just make the call on the fly. Um, so there's good and there's bad, you know. And, and there's just like management as a whole, just like different people, responsibilities and blah, blah, you know. A lot of people you got to work with in a big company. So you learn a lot no matter what. Yeah. Um, there's a, a quote from you in, in a New Schoolers article with Samantha Milner. And, and you're, you're talking about when someone should, you know, when someone's thinking about building a business, should they do it? And, and you say, I think, I'd think twice about building your own, your own for business. And I'd think about all the other opportunities like jobs. There's working at ski resorts, ski shops, media companies, film companies. Um, there's a lot of jobs that still relate to skiing that are probably more likely to find or get you what you need while still satisfying your passion. Mm-hmm. When is it appropriate for someone to take that leap and try to build the business for themselves yeah. versus uh, sort of um, working for another business? Yeah. Well, the point there is like people think if you want to be in the ski industry, that means you you are starting and building a ski. Like there's a million other jobs related to skiing, you know, like that you can already get. And that's what I was saying is like real estate has to do with skiing. You know, because there's real estate on the mountains. So mm-hmm. It's like, don't be like, I'm a real estate broker. I really want to do something skiing. It's like, well, go sell real estate on the mountain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's like, yeah, like I'm an accountant. Like, it's so boring. I work in New York City. I, w- I love skiing. I wish I had something. Well, like, go be an accountant for a ski shop, a ski mountain, a, uh, a ski, a travel agency. Like, there's hundreds of variations that you could still be thinking about ski related with your skill set without physically starting a ski company. That's just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and the time to break off and do your own thing, I would, unlike me, I would suggest become a little more of an expert by leveraging knowledge of working from other for other people. Like you go work for another business for one year, you'll learn more than the four years of college you went to easily. You'll learn more in the first few months, and take that knowledge and decide like, do I now know enough to start? something else or take that knowledge and be like you know what this isn't really the business i want to be in now that i know like like practice on someone else's dime get paid to practice get paid to learn don't like drop in on like 
I'm going to start this business with no knowledge other than a passion for it that I think I have a passion for. So that's all. And you just got to weigh that out. Like, how far do you go? And I think as long as you're learning, you probably should stick with what you're you're doing for some, you know, some other business. Or maybe at some point you approach and be like, hey, I want to be a part owner. I want to be incentivized in some way. I don't want to start my own business, but I want to be more integrated in that and go that direction too. Yeah. So there's just a lot of ways... Like at the end of the day, you're you're deciding to start your own business more than likely because you're like not satisfied with something uh, or or have a vision that you want to follow through on. Well, take it as far as you can without spending your own money on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for me, like you know, I I was mentioning I work in marketing and I have this yeah. agency and and what's been really valuable for me. You talked about you know go work for another company for a year. Uh, what's been great for me in this business is being able to work with, you know, a handful of companies or a dozen companies at a time and learn yeah. from all of those different sources. Um, so, you know, that's worked really well for me. And like I, I try and sort of plant that seed in other young people's brains that like, you know, like I'm focusing very narrowly on a skill set and doing that for a bunch of different companies and yeah. learning a boatload right. while doing that. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing is when you work in another business, you learn from people and the businesses they work with. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so line from 95 to 06, bought by K2, stayed there for six or seven yeah. years, building full tilt and, and scaling line. Yeah. You went out on your own for J-Skis in 2013, yeah. 2012, something like 13, that? Yeah. 13, And then, you know, you guys have grown. Recently, you made an acquisition. Talk about that. Yeah, so Forefront is a ski company. They were based out of Utah. They've been around, um, you know, at the time for all, you know over 10, 2002, I mean, is when they started. Um, so they started a few years after Line, but they were right at the brink of like the rev the free skiing revolution. You know, the modern, you know, all about skiing park and you know land of skiing backwards and pal and all that stuff so forefront was like one of the pioneering brands at the beginning of this free ride scene and matt Sturban started it um, as a pro skier much like myself with line and you know he took it as far as he could and he got to the point where you know he needed he wanted to leverage more pe more knowledge, more experience to make sure that Forefront had a strong future. And that's when I got involved. Um, and it was a really good, you know, part partnership at, in, a, in a way of like where I respected what he had created with Forefront, you know? And he, I think, you know, like I said, it was like I was when I sold Lime K2. It was like, I was maxed out and he was kind of that same way. And I was just a few, I just happened to be a few years ahead of him, you know, in, in the same kind of evolution of like learning on your own and then getting to the point where like, oh my God, like enough's enough, I need a partner on this thing. And so I acquired it completely. Um, and he still worked for me during a transition of that first year. Um, and he's moved on since then. But we, what we did really, the mission was how to take Forefront from what was a traditional retailer based distribution model to e-com because it just couldn't financially sustain itself. It never did and it never could. It just, it, 
all those years never got it to that scale where it, it could be on its own. And that's the same exact thing that happened with me with Lyme. Yeah. You know, so now it's like a very weird thing of like what happened to me and then K2 kind of took it, took it and, and carried it forward. I did the same thing now for Forefront. And, um, and so that first year was gnarly transition because we had all these retailer orders and we actually canceled them and went a hundred percent direct. And, uh, it was one of the first, it was the, like one of the first years that it like it made profit or it, it broke even, you know okay. what I mean? It didn't, so, it didn't lose money. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, like it had to make that leap because it was realized that it's a very core consumer brand. It's for the, you know, the, the most dedicated skiers out there. And it's never going to be that mainstream thing of that K2 of the world, you know, or that yeah. Rosignol. It's not going to be that scale. So the only way to support it at a small scale is to sell direct to consumer. That's just like, that's it. And I, I approved it with the J brand. And so we wanted to apply it to Forefront. And that's what we're doing now. Talk about the transition there. You mentioned you had a bunch of retail orders that you yeah. canceled. That must have been kind of scary oh, to dude, do that. That was the gnarliest thing, man. <laughs> I, was, I thought I was going to die a couple of days, man. Like, not die. <laughs> I just was like, my heart. I was like, feel like I was just, I, dude, it was gnarly. That was high risk. It was, it was just so burly. Like, the amount of orders that I basically just said were not going to fulfill. And now you have already, I had no decision making thousands and thousands of skis were coming in to my warehouse that I never placed an order for. They already ordered them. I had to pay for it and I had to find a way to sell it. Yeah. And some of the stuff people didn't even want, some of the stuff people really wanted. Like we were playing with price, like on the daily, like how much is this worth to people like buying direct from us? Like we were playing with price promotions. Like we couldn't change the graphics. We couldn't change like, we had way too many models because it was built for a retail base. Retailer, there's always a retailer that says, I want low price, higher price. I want a black version, a skinny version, a wide version. So they had 25 different models. At the end of the day, a year later, now we're down to 12, of which two are juniors. So you you don't need that many when you're selling direct. It, it's too complicated. So anyway, it was it was burly. Like, like, it was millions of dollars in product that I needed to now fit find out could I sell it and honestly the first day we went live with a new product on the website I sold one ski one freaking ski <laughs> like for Jay like we sold like when we launched the new product we're selling like 50 pair the first day yeah. like not every day forever but on the launch that's a big deal and yeah. like after that we were selling you know dozens a day for Jay and I was selling two for forefront i was like oh my god dude like what am i doing like it was it was so gnarly and we just worked through it and and figured it out and like fine-tuned the so we ramped up the social media we ramped up the email list like we it just like the e-commerce the the e the digital marketing machine just needed to be fired up and people were just like holy shit i'm seeing forefront everywhere online it's like yeah that's what we need to do you know so we got through it, man. We sold it everything that year. Some of it, I'm embarrassed to say how cheap we sold it. <laughs> but you gotta do what you gotta do to get through it. And the next year, we dialed in the graphics really strong. We streamlined the, the SKU countdowns like a third of the SKUs, and just kept the stuff that people wanted. Because that first year, we realized people don't want this; they really want that. So like Eric Corson, like his series was like really strong. 
we evolved like the MSP series, which is more mainstream. Like we just streamlined it and made it efficient and cost effective. And you know, it's, it's working now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds like a really scary thing to do because it totally you, is. you know you're, you're taking your whole book of business and basically burning it yeah but what it was for <laughs> yeah sure. like everyone was confused people like didn't know where to get it why is it in the store and all and then we got a lot of like people pushing back on it we're yeah. evil you're fucking up the forefront brand you're like jlev is hurting forefront like oh dear did message boards and stuff but like at the end of the day it wouldn't have been around it would have not yeah. existed today. Yeah. So they didn't realize that. They don't know the reality of it. Yeah. It's not like you, you're just like, we have a ski company, so you have a ski company. It's like, you got to financially survive, man. Um, and and hell, like, is there someone else that cares more about skiing? Like, I, if I'm going to claim something, like, it's going to be hard to find someone willing to bite that off and try to maintain doing it for the right reasons. Like, that's one thing I'll say for Forefront is like, I'm still... Even though you may not agree with everything we're doing, we're doing it to survive, but more importantly, because it's it's the best thing while enabling us to survive for the brand. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to balance it out. You can't just make a ski that you sell seven pair of. You know what I mean? You're going to go out of business doing that yeah, shit. Yeah. But you also don't want to make a ski that's just a lane, lane ski as the mainstream brands either, you know? So you got to balance it. Like, you want to be core, you want to be niche, you want to make what other brands don't, but you also have to sell enough to pay the bills. It's reality. You know? Yeah. So are you targeting like vastly different audiences with line or sorry, with J versus uh, yeah, Forefront? We, yeah, we are. Okay. Definitely. There's, they're like, you ask customer service, they pick up the phone, they know it's almost a Forefront customer because the Forefront customer is much more technically minded. They care way more about every detail of product and construction. Um, a lot of them, I mean, are Forefront for life, you know, and they they're not looking for another brand. They want Forfer. They have 15 pair at home, you know what I mean? Or yeah. they follow those athletes that have designed these skis. Um, it's also a brand that's very focused on PAL, you know, deeper snow, out west skiing. Most of the customers are in the west, a lot of the J customers are in the east. I mean, we're both, both brands, the number one territory is Colorado. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but after that, it splits a lot east-west. So it's just like cars or shoes, you know, like, is Nike and Adidas like different? Yeah, are they making the same thing? Yeah, pretty much, but like they are different. If you know if you know about a shoe or you know about a car, like you know that Ford and Chevy are different, but they're still both cars. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, they yeah. both kind of look the same. They function similar. So that's the that's the art of branding and positioning of a brand that that I'd like to think that like I've had a lot of experience in just positioning, you know. <laughs> um, do you have any other advice for, for someone starting out about how to sort of build that brand? And Yeah, like positioning is everything. And positioning is the meaning of that is like if you just if you're ever going out to a bar or sitting in a classroom, like every person is their own brand. They're positioning themselves by the way they dress, the way they look, the way their haircut, the things they say or don't say, the people they hang out with. It's the same with a brand. A brand is a person, and you you have a position. You know, it's like that that person that brands like they're they're a nerd, they're a jock, they're into music, they're into not only music, but this person in the punk music, this person's in hip hop. This per, you know what I mean? Like that's positioning, and so forefront and Jay are taking different positions on the market. You know, forefront is about 
getting in the backcountry, touring, getting first tracks. Also, they're different from other brands that are about that because they're in freestyle out in those terrain and conditions. You know what I mean? They're pioneered. Like, they were one of the first brands, like modern free ski brands, you know? Like, for Jay, we just started that six years ago. You know what I mean? Seven years ago. So it's actually a newer brand. It's, it started 100% e-commerce. It's limited edition graphics. It's got, it's more tongue-in-cheek, you know, humor. So, yeah, there's, like, Every every layer layer and level of things that you do as a company, uh, you got to think of like how am I positioned against others out there differently. Um, that's good advice on the branding front. Uh, what advice? What other advice would you give to a young founder with just an idea? This is pre revenue, and how would that advice change as the business grows and evolves? Like, okay, so before you make a dollar. Yeah, and and like. The advice that you're going to give someone with no sales is going to be different than three years in or sure. something. So how does that change? Well, when you got no sales, like don't quit your job first off. Like, <laughs> that's just not a good idea. Yeah. Like just do every, push it as far as you can, but do it on the side. It's kind of like, are you going to say, I'm going to be a pro skier and like quit your job, don't go to school and like move out West thinking you're going to somehow make it like, no, you're going to do your job, go to school and just bust your ass every waking moment you have extra to try to progress in that discipline. And if at some point you're like, wow, I think I can actually make it, like I progressed far enough, you can start dropping the other stuff. So you could start dropping or working a part-time job if money starts coming in, you know, to subsidize uh, what you're making. Um, don't go and get an investor because you had a great idea. Like execute the idea test it out even if you're just testing it on your friends test it on yourself see if other people are convinced and if they use it they like it before you ever go get an investor you know because you get the investor you're going to spend money on a stupid business card you don't need an office you don't need you know marketing you don't need because you don't know what works and doesn't just try everything you can on a super what they call bootstrap which is like it's like guerrilla warfare it's like you're just nothing's official you're just Doing it, everything on the down low, raw, roll up your sleeves, get it done on the side. And if you see it start happening, well, now you can get serious about it. Once you get serious about it, so the other part of that question is like, once you do get serious, create a spreadsheet and what they call cash flow and decide like, okay, I've been doing this part-time, I've done this much sales. If I did this full-time, what would change? How much could, could I sell? Take that dollar amount and then say, what would I spend it on? And figure out at the end of 12 months, like you're going to be in the hole or profitable and extrapolate that spreadsheet out as many months as you need to find a point where you actually are profitable and figure out your, the most amount of money you lost during that time. That's what you need for an investment to mm, get to that spot. That's good advice. I haven't <laughs> thought of it like that. It's <laughs> really good advice. <laughs> now, do I follow it? I didn't used to. Like now, I don't even know if I do. But that's the that's the best way to do it, you know. Yeah. And then that way, when you're like upside down, you're like, okay, I'm supposed to be right now, but I do have to reach that goal, you know. So, yeah. Um, what do you wish you had known or implemented sooner than you did? Um, these days, or I don't. I mean, different points in my career, I guess. I there's just different things. Um, I think implementing how lean can you operate is a really important thing like 
regardless of your size, like it's very easy to say, I need this. And if you put yourself in a corner and say, I can't have it, but I need it, you'll find other ways to get it done that are not only sometimes cost savings, but they can become way more efficient or more creative solutions. And you end up doing something that your competition never would have come up with because they had the luxury of just writing the check where yourself, you're like, I can't write the check. How am I going to still accomplish this goal? How am I going to reach 10,000 people to tell them this? Like some company's going to pay for a billboard. Me back in the day at one point, I actually just took on like YouTube and went nuts with it with Line and because it was free. I was like, holy shit, it's free. I got a bunch of athletes that have videos. They have nothing to do with them. I'm going to put it under our branded YouTube channel. And it, like today, the Line YouTube thing is huge. Um, but it forced me to because I couldn't pay for an ad. If I could have paid for an ad, I would have just bought a print ad. It would have done nothing for me. But YouTube, I was forced to find another way. And it was way better solution anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, talk about the importance of company culture. Uh, you guys have yeah. a, a, a cool vibe here yeah. in the J Ski's headquarters. How, how important is that to you and, and how, um, how have you been able to create it and define it? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is important because these days I feel like I call them kids because I'm just old enough. I feel like everyone's a kid. Like, <laughs> you know, let's just say people that are like just out of college, like in their twenties, which is most people that work for me. Um, like they've got big hopes and dreams, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of options today. It's not like the old days where it's like every job sucks. Like there's some pretty cool gigs out there, you know, where you don't have to go to work and you can travel and blah, blah, blah. And you get, I, I joke around about like Google, you get free organic food, you know? So I bring granola <laughs> bars from Costco. But like, I feel like it, it's a difference, you know? Like I bring in tons of snacks, like, and I, we have pizza every Friday. So like, you know, everyone just knows that like, we have pizza in the summer, we do hot dog in the side. And we're all skiers, like we're like-minded people. Like we're doing this because we like doing it. Like pretty much anyone here, including myself, could get paid more doing something similar somewhere else, right? It's a ski industry, like it's a six month business in a full year, but you're working for a year. So, you know, you're not gonna get paid the most, but I try to pay as much as I can. Like I try to really be super fair, even though we're a tiny business and seasonal. And I try to just, keep things positive and you know don't like even if like I always just look for like how can we progress and I also try to enable people to tell and contribute to that progression so they can come up with the ideas like people that have never designed a ski or designing skis in this office like they're having effects on the graphics that we decide on the pricing like like just the marketing the messaging like they're, they might be two years out of college. I'm just like, well, what do you think of this? What do you think we should do? We just like, we'll brainstorm on like a Monday. Like, this is what our goal is. What do you think? Someone, I don't care who comes up with ideas. No bad ideas. Like that's a bad, you, you don't want the culture of like the people that are doing the job day in and day out have no say on, on what that job, how it can be done. You know, like I don't do it. So like I'm asking you, how do you think we should do it? What do you think we should do? And that's, that's something that like people think culture, they think of like, oh, do you have free ski days or stuff like that? I think culture is like, how do you enable and empower people to control their own destiny in, this, in the job itself? I don't want to do that. I want them to do the job, you know? I, I teach them and I'm, I'm always up for like contributing, but ultimately I want to feel them to feel like it's their own. 
what individual has been the most inspiring in your life and why? What individual? Jeez, dude. Um, I mean, over the years, there's just different people depending on where you are. But, like, I think early, early on it was Jake Bird. And I know it sounds, like, typical, but, I mean, this is when I was a kid. Like, I just, like, he was the only one I knew that was, like, in the winter sporting business, so, like, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, was, and he started like, that at a pretty young age, too. Yeah, yeah, and years and years, like, decades before I did, but, like, that was, like, just something I did, you know, look up to, and I, I respect him, and, you know, he passed away, and, like, yeah, he, his, his influence is, like, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's big, but, like, yeah. but it was personal at the time, because I'd go to that shop and see them doing what they're doing, creating an entire brand and a sport and everything. So for me, it wasn't just like, yeah, he's influential, like, because of snowboarding. But for me, it was like, I actually physically saw him change things um, at Stratton, like, which was their whole mountain that was also mine. So, but then later, it was all business people, man, like, but not like some famous business person. It's just like, people just doing like an accountant, I, I, you know, use one time and they'd say this or, you know, like Brian Borman with the real estate, like I wasn't doing real estate, but like just certain perspectives that you start share that they share with you and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I didn't think of it that way. Like just totally. So I think it's healthy to just, just talk to other business people. Don't worry about like, yes, the early days it was like snowboarding influenced me, but like later it was like any business person. Yeah. I like love asking questions now. And there, and I'm inspired. Start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because the thing about business, <laughs> the thing about business is like skiing is like a sport. Like for you to progress, you have to physically be able and like do it so many times, a certain trick or like physically, it's like a physical competition. In business, it's a perspective. It's like, how are you thinking differently about what you're doing to one up whoever's out there? You know, and so it's really a mind game and you can, two people can look at the same opportunity or look at the same thing that looks like it isn't an opportunity. And it's the person that sees the opportunity in it, you know? Yeah. So sharing, getting that, gaining that perspective and different variety from people in business is like huge, man. And inspiring. And like, now I just, I look up to anyone that's like in business period, doing making shit happen. Awesome. Um, Jake Burton passed away recently. It was cool to yeah. see how the community kind of rallied together yeah. and, and mourned him. Um, that, uh, you know, it's just such a special community here. Yeah. Talk about, you know, why, why Jay Skis is in Burlington and, uh, and okay. what you like about this place. Yeah, so I obviously, they wanted me to move to Seattle when K2 acquired Line because um, we were in Burlington and I... I just was like, I talked to my wife and I had like a newborn kid and I was like, we went to Seattle, I was like, it's just not worth it. You know, they wanted to pay me all this money and stuff, but at the same time, like the quality of life, the culture, the attitude, the values in Burlington and just East Coast generally, but then even more so up here, the ruralness, like we just put so much value in it. I mean, I've been to a lot of places that I'd rather ski, don't get me wrong, but like every time I come back to like, but this is where I want to live. And there's a ton in this town of entrepreneurial spirit. 
and support for entrepreneurial mindset. So like, I don't care who you are, like you put a pie out on your porch and say it's for sale. People are like, hell yeah, I'm gonna buy that pie. Like yeah. they're a place in New Jersey, you'd be like, what the hell is that guy doing <laughs> trying to sell pie? Like trying to, trying to scheme and put drugs in it or whatever. Like here it's just like, so some some grandma puts a cookie bag of cookies in a grocery in a in, in a gas station. It's like you know Aunt Annie's cookies, and it's like hell yeah, dollar fifty for a cookie. Yeah. Oh, local? Hell yeah, yeah. local. Like I said, like who knows if they know how to make a cookie, right? So I just love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment thus far? Not giving up. That's it. I mean, I'm not like pulling. I'm not doing anything that's ultra smart or like you know there's no genius here i'm struggling running this business just like every business owner is I, i'm up at night figuring out how am i gonna get to that next point you know like that that's just owning a business period so this is not like some cush thing i didn't find some magic formula um you know but i the one thing i'm most proud of is just i just don't quit and I, I'm just super persistent. Like if there's a challenge, I'm gonna try to figure out how to get through it, you know, and I have. So that's it, man. That's all you, that's, that's all you can do in business a lot of times. Uh, you talked about the, the mistake early on at line of thinking that you needed to manufacture all your own stuff. What's the biggest mistake that you've made building J-skis, if any? Um, Surely there's some something yeah, you would have done differently. <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't, <laughs> shit hasn't hit the fan hard enough yet for me to like really have a big thing. Um, I'm constantly evolving. I mean, should, the thing about the J thing that I did right was I really formed the brand to fit the strategy of the market, the marketing and the distribution and everything. Like everything I do and more importantly, what I don't do is to fit that. So I don't have a lot of baggage that I have to like, that just isn't working or didn't work. But like, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more, I don't know, I think I've been pretty lucky, but like, cause I've been so cautious with the J thing. Um, maybe I could have grown it faster or like bigger, but like, I really know I, I have a lot of, scars where like I just don't want to go there so like I'm not taking like I took a risk like the rest of the world sees what I'm doing as a risk but what I the way I see it is it's like it's it's the not risk you know um there's so many things I say no to all the time and I mean the only thing I like that I guess I regret is not going skiing more like owning this company because that was like a big point in like controlling my destiny. Yeah. And one, I don't travel as much, so I, I achieve that. But my next goal is like, how can I have this business and have more flexible time, man? Like not flexible, but free time. Because I just, I still work a lot, man. Yeah, it's tough that your high season is also when you want to least be working. That's the cash for <laughs> me too. Like, and that's why I tell people, they're like, I love skiing, I want to work in the ski industry. Like, if you love skiing, you probably don't want to work in the Yeah, ski find industry. a summer job. Exactly, man. <laughs> yeah, so that's my only regret is not figuring out, but I will and I am going to figure that out. How to get more time to go skiing and run the ski business. Yeah. Um, what's the worst advice that you've ever been given or heard given to someone else? An entrepreneur, entrepreneurial advice, business advice. Um, 
Or if you want to start with the best advice, we could do that too. Yeah. God, I don't know, man. Like, I, I can't think of any one thing right now. Maybe I just talked too much already. But, <laughs> um, the worst advice is that you that people will tell you that, like, you're going to be a billionaire or millionaire or any of that bullshit. That's just, like, whack. Like, no one, like people think a good idea, it's not about the idea. It's about the execution. That's it. Like, so anyone that's just, like, that's a million-dollar idea is, like, that's... That's the dumbest thing ever. Like, <laughs> like it's everyone has that idea. You're not the only one, and yeah. So, I guess that's bad advice to think like you're gonna get rich off this. You're gonna like you should get a ton of money up front to do this. Like, you got everything to prove, you know. And um, yeah, so the best advice is to just. Um, I mean. It's just the reality of business and what it's perceived from the outside are just two different things. That's the advice I would give. It's like, as a business owner, you're like, you, like you probably think Elon Musk is like living the dream. That guy is guaranteed stress to no end, no sleep, no family life. Like, it's gnarly. It's, yeah. just, it's just gnarly. Yeah. It just is. Like, and <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't just like look at it. It's just like seeing someone, anyone that you're, see do it, that you're aware of doing something and you think like you're just seeing like the fruits of the labor not the actual labor you know so the yeah. advice is like don't forget there's a real lot of labor behind that man yeah no guarantees either all right we're bumping up on an hour so we'll, we'll wrap yeah, up here a couple yeah. more questions a okay. couple more questions uh if you weren't running this business what would you be doing skiing yeah, I'd be skiing. <laughs> sure. If I didn't have to work at all, I'd be skiing a little bit. Sure. I'd be in Jamaica too a lot. Uh, what's one book you'd recommend to a young entrepreneur? Well, there's this book. It's outdated now, but it's like the 22 Numerable something. It's called, I don't know the name of it. I only read it. I don't read books really, but like it's a good brand positioning book. I don't know. I'm not a book. 22 something. 20 something. 27, I think, innumerable clauses or something. Okay. It has to do with brand positioning, but it's like laws of marketing or something like that. Yeah, and I I gave it to these guys and like it was already so outdated, but it's like the idea of positioning a brand is so important. Yeah. So that you're not trying to be what everyone else already is. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't really have a lot of like attention span, so I don't read. Okay. Uh, Last question and we'll wrap up. Uh, before I forget, don't forget to connect with Jason uh, on social media at Jason Leventhal, uh, as well as follow Jay Skis at J underscore Skis. Jason, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you having appreciate having you on the podcast. Um, as we wrap up, what's your definition of entrepreneurship? I think an entrepreneur is comfortable being uncomfortable with not knowing what's next like you you have to like i've gotten to the point where i'm more comfortable if i'm uncomfortable like once i get comfortable then i'm just like there there's not something adventurous happening where like i need to do something i don't know you know what i mean entrepreneurs are they're also blinded by their own uh enthusiasm you know like i never would have done what i did 
like literally from day one to even yesterday, if I had known what I was really getting into, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's like that, that dad that's just like, rah, 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 we're going to go do this. It's like the reality is like, it's probably, it might suck, you know, and like being comfortable with not knowing your future. I think that's like a big part of it. And, and being actually excited by the fact that you have no idea where this is going to go, but you have like a dream of where it might go, you know? So yeah, that's it. <laughs> hey folks, it's Riley Farbaugh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Young Founders Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this episode, if you got any value from it, please help spread the word. Post a screenshot to your Instagram story. Tell us what episodes you've been listening to on Twitter. Share an episode with your Facebook fam. Text someone a link to an episode if you think they benefit from it. And please leave us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Anything you guys can do to help us out is so helpful to us and very, very much appreciate it. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Riley Farah. Find Nate at NT Bowl. You can also find every episode of the Young Founders podcast at theyoungfounders.com. We've also compiled a bunch of resources there to help you guys out on your journey towards creating a profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling business for yourselves. And if there's anything Nate and I can do to help you guys out along the way, please reach out to us. We both love connecting with other young entrepreneurs and we're happy to help in any way that we can. Also, if you think you or someone you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the podcast, let us know that also. We're always looking for cool new guests. You can DM us or go to theyoungfounders.com slash apply and fill out the short form there. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Young Founders Podcast. We'll see you next time.